Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Well, welcome. You guys awake? All right, is it so cold in here that you are falling asleep already? We got another hour and a half to go, baby. Well, welcome to Vertical Life Church. I'm Pastor Joey. For those of you that are new, we want to say welcome to you today. <clears throat> if you uh, can't tell already, I'm, I'm struggling with a little cold this morning, so I'm trying to stay out of everybody's business. So don't think I'm being standoffish. I'm just trying not to share. My, uh, my mom and her husband came up last week to spend New Year's and Christmas with us, and they uh, brought the cold they fought or were fighting with them, and so now it's going around our house. So um, you bear with me today, but we will, we will get through it. Um, we are in week two of our series, Make Your Move. If you were here last week, God just, I think, at the beginning of this year, just began to birth something amazing in our church, just as we are believing God to not only move this year, move in us in big ways, but also that he's going to be moving in small ways and in ways that maybe we, we didn't foresee, but nonetheless are going to be significant in our lives. I think we often look for the big moves, like the big miracles, like the, the cancer healing and, and these big things, but we forget that God still moves in small ways too. And matter of fact, if you made it here today and you didn't slip on the ice, I don't know if you, your, your sidewalk, your driveway was as slippery as mine this morning, but if you didn't slip and fall, that I think that's a blessing from God. So, you know, we'll give him credit for that because every good gift comes from the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we believe God is at work and he is moving in and through us and through the Holy Spirit, and we're pressing into that this year. And to help us prepare for what is to come, we are looking at the story of Elijah. And, and um, I, I love the story of Elijah. It is a famous story. But there's so many different takeaways from Elijah. And last, last week, if you remember, God called Elijah to be a prophet. He like, came out of nowhere. You know, sometimes your calling is like that. I, I remember uh, when I was a, a kid, I was kind of rebelling from, you know, God, rebelling from my parents. My eighth grade year, I, I thought I was too cool for school. I was like big tough guy and kind of wandering away from the Lord. And I remember my parents like just like making me go to the revival meeting at church. And I'm just like, man, do I have to do this? This is the last place I want to be is in church, and, and they're like, you have to go at least one night. Just you pick the night, you have to go at least one night. And so I decided the night I was going to go, I went there, and I don't even remember what the pastor was or speaker was speaking on. I just remember being under such conviction at the response time, and, and I'm just sitting there as he's giving the altar call, and, and you know, it's one of those where, you know, the, the old-fashioned way where you play the, the hymns, you know, just as I am, I come, you know, from old-fashioned uh, church and traditional church, and, and they're like the third, the fourth line, and always, by the time they get to the fourth verse, because it's a cardinal rule, at least in the Baptist church where I grew up, once you get to verse four, you have to be done. Many of those have like six, seven, eight verses, but we only like pick three or four. And once you get to verse four, people had enough. So you're just like, okay, you got to be done on verse four. 
So he gets to verse 4, and, and um, the pastor comes up, and he, he starts saying, like, look, if you haven't come, and you know God's calling you, he's leading on your heart that you need to come forward and surrender your life to the Lord, you know, we're going to play one more verse. He, like, broke the rule. You know, it broke the rule. I, almost, I was almost good. I was almost like, okay, I almost made it through verse 4. He said, we're going to have one more verse. And, and then at that time, for whatever reason, I look up, the guy's staring right at me. And he says, you know what you need to do. You just need to make your move. You need to come. And I just couldn't stay in my seat anymore. I went forward and knelt down with some guy I didn't even know from our church. And was just bawling because I knew God was calling me uh, to serve him for the rest of my life. I knew, I knew it in that moment. And, and so um, this is what I like about Elijah. It's a lot of our story is sometimes we're just living life. We just have our plans and hopes for the future. And then out of nowhere, God shows up. And he does something better with our lives than we could possibly imagine. And what we saw last week with Elijah is God called Elijah to be his prophet against this wicked king. And Elijah does what God asks him to do. And then Elijah has to go run for his life. And, and like, we don't, like, think about that. We don't think, like, okay, God's calling me. He's calling me to this great purpose. I'm going to surrender my life to him so everything should be good. But, but instead, Elijah had to go run for his life. And so God said, yeah, I know this is kind of my fault. I, I, I brought this on you, so I'm going to take care of you. Why don't you go to the wilderness? I'm going to send you to the safe zone. Well, you're out in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to know where you are. But you're going to have all the water you need to drink, and you're going to have free DoorDash. The ravens are going to come and just drop meat off at your table. You don't even have to hunt for it. They're just going to drop it off. And I think, like, that's where we want to get in our spiritual lives, is we want to get into the safe zone, where, where there's no threat of danger, where no one can find us, where we don't have a care or worry in the world that we just can live as comfortable as possible. But beloved, when we get to the safe zone, we stop living in the very thing God has called us to live in, and that is crazy faith. When we're, when we're safe and we're secure and we have no, no need of anything, the first thing that goes out the door is our faith. Why? Because now we can control everything. We can feel completely secure. And this was Elijah's story. He's in the safe zone. So what does God do? He lets the brook dry up. So now what Elijah needed for survival was no longer there. And so as the brook dries up, God then sends him to another location. And we talked about last week, sometimes the brooks in our lives, the things that we're holding on to for security, for, to meet our need, our source, our resource, God lets the brooks dry up so we're willing to move. Because as long as we stay comfortable, there's no reason to leave. And so the brook has to dry up. And so this week we are looking at the next Place, the next location that God sends Elijah. We're going to be again in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 12. In verse 8, the Lord says to Elijah, that's all it says in verse 8. That's a great verse, right? And then the Lord said to Elijah, that's an easy one to remember. Verse 9, go. Somebody say go. If you remember, when he told him to go into the wilderness, his first command to go in the wilderness was go. The second command he gives to Elijah is go, right? 
It means he has to make a move to go from where he is to where God is directing him to be. You have to make a move. You can't stay in the same place. So go and live in the village of Zarephath. So this is not going to be like a little time. He's saying go and live there. Like you're going you're gonna to plant roots down. This is where you're going to dwell. This is your new home, Elijah. And go to this village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we have come. We want to hear from you today. And God, I just pray that the hindrance of my voice and my physical body would get out of the way. Lord, I thank you that you are not hindered by our frailties. God, you are not hindered. Your power is not diminished by our lack. And God, I just thank you that your spirit is alive and well. I thank you that Jesus has risen from the dead. I thank you that our hope is sure and steadfast. And I pray, God, for every heavy heart today, that the spirit of heaviness would get out right now in Jesus' name, and that you would fill us when put upon us that mantle of praise. And God, that you'd give us a persevering heart. God, we all walk through this life. We all have struggles and trials, and sometimes we enter a season of refining. And the one thing we want to do when we're being refined is we want to run. But God, we don't learn anything when we run. So help us today to submit to you afresh, to be encouraged by Elijah's story and the truths that you have for us today. And may Jesus, the name who is above every name, be glorified in this house today. And all God's people said, amen. So here God tells Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath. Here's your new home, your new destination. You're going to be here a while. But don't worry, just like the wilderness, I've made provision for you. I, I've instructed this woman, this widow, to take care of your needs, just like I told the ravens in the brook to feed you and, and to give you drink. I've, I've told this, I've instructed this widow to take care of you. In other words, Elijah, your provision, your breakthrough that you're looking for, that you need since your brook here dried up, that's going to be found in this next village. And I've instructed this woman to take care of you. That word instructed... If we think of the word instruct, like we have a basic knowledge of what instructed means. It means a command or to be appointed. He bade her or ordered her to lay a charge upon, to give a charge. In other words, God chose this lady, this widow, to take care of Elijah. And from what it sounds like, if God told me, <clears throat> excuse me, if God told me that he instructed somebody to do something for me, I'm going to think God gave her the heads up. That God already went ahead and, and set it all up so that all I have to do is walk into the situation and receive what God's prepared for me. That, that's how I think. I don't know about you. But look what happens. Verse 10. So he goes to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. Ah, this must be the lady, right? And then he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And right, 
this is where my humor kicks in, right? They're in the middle of a drought. What comes with drought? A little water. If I were the widow, I'd say, I can do a little water. We're in a drought. That's all you're going to get is a little water. You're not getting a lot of water. You're getting a little, right? We don't have a lot to go around. Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he then called her and said, and bring me a bite of bread too. He's never met her before. Like, hey, woman, get me a drink. And while you're at it, make me a sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, just think about, like, what's happening. Like, you got to just put yourself in that headspace. Bring me a bite of bread, too. And then she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then my son and I will die. First thing that pops out to me is she says, the Lord, your God. Not the Lord, my God. The Lord, your God. So what we know, she was Sidonian. She wasn't a Jewish woman. The Sidonians didn't worship Yahweh as Elijah did. She was from the land of Sidon. In this culture, they worshiped the gods of Baal, Astarte, and Melkart. Melkart was the chief deity over the city of Sidon nearby where Zarephath was located. So how did she know Elijah, this guy she'd never met before, worshipped Yahweh? Well, she could have known he was a Jewish man, and they would have known that the Jews worship Yahweh. Or maybe God did what God said was he instructed her to take care of his needs. So maybe in a dream or in a vision, somehow God spoke to her and said, this man Elijah's coming, I want you to take care of his needs. However, it went down, whatever the message was, whether it's she just noticed he was Jewish or she had a dream, it wasn't really impressed upon her to take care of Elijah's needs. I mean, think about it. She wasn't regarding any supernatural encounter as being that important because what was her plan? Not to feed Elijah. It was to feed herself and her son and then die. That was her plan. She knew if she had had a dream, she knew what Yahweh was asking. She knew what she had in the house. And for her, since she had no idea really who this God is, she's looking at what she has What's being asked of her? And she's thinking, ain't no way and no how is this possible. So I can't do what you're asking me to do. So she made other plans. She was filled with doubt. Why? Because she didn't know God. The gods they served in the land of Sidon, they never did anything without payment. If you wanted something from the gods, you had to make a sacrifice. You had to do something. And she had nothing to give, not even enough to keep her and her son alive one more day. So you can imagine her doubt and her disillusionment. But now put yourself in Elijah's shoes. This is why I love reading the scripture and just like taking a moment to breathe as you read. Just to put your mind in their headspace. Okay, God said, go to this village and live. God said, he instructed a woman to take care of my needs. So if you think about 
Elijah, I think, man, he's probably thinking, okay, this is going to be great. Those ravens, I mean, that was cool that they brought me meat, but they don't really know how to cook. I mean, there was no, they didn't bring me any salt. There was no spices. They just dropped the meat off, and I just had to rough it. But here I'm going to a widow's house. She's probably got some secret family recipes, you know. It's going to be better than Restaurante de la Raven. It's going to be like a um, home-cooked meal. It's going to be great. So I'm excited to go to Zarephath. I want to go and get my meal from this widow. And so he shows up, and he's like, woman, get me a drink. Make me a sandwich. I'm hungry. And she's like, I don't know you. And I especially don't have enough to feed you. I have enough for my son and me. So how about you do you, and we'll do us, and we'll call it a day. Can you, like, imagine what Elijah's, like, feeling in that moment? God, I thought you said. I thought you said that this was going to be okay. I thought you said you were going to take care of me. I thought you, I thought you said you instructed her, like, you're supposed to tell her what to do, and she's, like, supposed to do it. Like, I can just see the struggle maybe happening in Elijah's mind, in his heart, in this moment. But look at how Elijah responds to her in 1 Kings 17, verse 13. It says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Like, think about what he's asking this lady. There's a drought. There's no food. This is all that's left. Go ahead and feed yourselves, but feed me first. Wouldn't you feel selfish, like, asking that question? Like, it would just, you got to think about the circumstance here. So feed me first. Then you was left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. I want to key on one of these verses for just a moment. I want to read part of verse 14 again. Verse 14 says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Say it with me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. It's what he says. Not said. It's what he says. It's present tense. So think about what's happening here. Elijah is talking to a woman he's never met, believing he's going to get provided for. She says, no way, no, how is this happening? He's in a crisis moment. But in that moment, he's still able to hear the voice of God and declare what God is presently saying. This is why it's important to hear the voice of God. This is why in these moments of crisis, when your faith is on the line, when things aren't going like you expect, the way you've planned, why it's important to know how to hear the voice of God. You see, I believe while Elijah was in the safe zone, it was the cutting away of all of his dependencies that enabled him to press into the presence of the Lord, to hear God's voice, to cultivate his relationship to the point that all that mattered was what God was saying in the moment. 
to live by faith every day, every second, to say, God, I'm here now. What do you want from me? God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What's my next move? You see, when we get to the safe zone, we want to check out spiritually. Oh, I don't got to work now. I don't got to pray now. I don't got to read now. I don't got to study as much now. I don't got to do all this stuff as much as I used to now. Why? Because things feel nice and comfortable and I can breathe and relax. But beloved, the safe zone's not when you check out. The safe zone's when you press in. Because there's going to come a moment in your life where life ain't safe. It doesn't feel comfortable. And you're going to wish to God you had a close relationship with Jesus. You're going to hope to God you could sense the presence of the Lord, to know how to get to that quiet place, that place of intimacy where it's just you and him because that's all you have. So here Elijah is coming out of the comfort zone. He's in this crisis moment and he's able to hear God's voice. And as he's having this dialogue with the woman, he's also having a dialogue with God. And God is saying in that moment, tell her this and watch what I'm able to do. Talk about a tough situation for both Elijah and for this widow. But the amazing thing is, as she listens to what Elijah asked her to do, and I think probably because she's thinking, well, I have really nothing left to lose. It's either I eat this meal or I don't. Either way, we're going to die. So she gives to Elijah. Verse 15, it says, so she did as Elijah said, and then she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord promised through Elijah. What a miracle. Could, could you imagine the reaction on that woman's face as she's like scraping the bottle of the bottom of the flour and pouring, like tapping the butt of the, the olive oil bottle to get the last few drops out? And makes Elijah his cake. And then she goes back for more. And she's like, oh, there's still some more in there. And, and then thinking it's all gone, coming back the next day. And oh, there's still some more in there. And to see that time and time again, they had everything they needed. Because why? They trusted God. They trusted God in the middle of a crisis. And even though this situation has an amazing miracle attached to it, it goes from bad to worse. In verse 17, it says, Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. And then she said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out all my sins and kill my son? Like after going through all of that, after feeding them over and over again and providing for their needs, you have to wonder what was going on through her mind. Like, like what's happening? Like, well, why has this come upon me? Why, why has this man come to torment me? She was already reluctant to trust Elijah in the beginning. Remember, she didn't worship Yahweh. Her, her people weren't re reverent to Yahweh. They were in opposition to Yahweh. And so here she trusted this man, went out on a limb, and now this, this has come to her, her home. And this is reticent of how her gods acted and behaved. Remember, uh, Astarte and Baal and Melkart were their gods. Uh, according to uh, historians on Phoenicians.com, in the land of Phoenicia, which is where this location was, 
Ancient sources show us that uh, religious prostitution was a prime way to worship the, in the cult of Astarte, and many women, and most all of women, were forced into prostitution in worship of this god at some point in their life. Not only was there forced prostitution, they also, the primary way they worshiped these gods was through child sacrifice. So she was well aware of what the gods required in order to receive a blessing. She was well aware. So you can imagine she already has some disdain for the gods. Probably not thinking well of the gods. And here she, she trusted Elijah. They're getting provision and now her son dies. Maybe she's thinking, that Yahweh is just like the rest of them. Just like the rest of them. In order to get provision, he takes my child. In facing this woman's sense of desperation at the moment of her greatest pain, and in her mind coming by the hand of Elijah's God, Elijah had another crisis, and he had a choice to make. Do I let this circumstance deter me? Or do I trust in Almighty God? What would you do in that circumstance? What would you say? I mean, think about it. Put yourself right there in that moment. The widow's son is dead in the room next to you. She's looking at you as being the responsible party. What do you do? I think many of us, we, we'd find some way to cop, cop out a reason for why God's not responsible and just try to be as loving and caring as we could and stand by her at the funeral. But that's not what Elijah does. Elijah does something different. Elijah remembers God's promises. God promised to watch over them, to provide for them. He knew that God wasn't the type of God that took children as payment. He didn't receive child sacrifice. As a matter of fact, he hated child sacrifice. That's not who God was. And if he was faithful before, he's going to be faithful again. So in 1 Kings 17, 19, Elijah replies, give me your son. And then he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where they were staying, laid his body on his bed, and Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who's opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And then he stretched out over the child three times. Somebody say three times. Not one time. Three times. And each time he cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. Then the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then revived, And then Elijah brought him down to the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. This is an incredibly tense and difficult moment. But Elijah doesn't trust in his own faith, in his own well-being. He trusts in the nature and character of God. He trusts in the truth of God's promises, the truth of God's word. And he said, I may not understand it, but I know that my God is all-powerful, all-sufficient. He is always good. He is always great. And I know if he's come through before, he'll come through again. And he took that little boy up to the stairs. And he didn't just pray one anemic prayer and say, God, if it's your will, raise the boy. Oh, 
It didn't happen. I guess it's not his will. He continued to intercede for that child. And on the third time, God answered his prayer and the boy arose. How many of us in that place of difficulty, in that place of crisis, we give up too soon before the miracle happens? God has been working in Elijah from the comfort zone, took him out of the comfort zone into this place to work in his life, to build his faith so that he would know how to press in for the promises of God. And what's interesting is the way the woman responds after this moment, verse 24, as Elijah presses past fear, doubt, worry, and anxiety, trusting in the promises of God. In verse 24, it says, the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you're a man of God. And that the Lord truly speaks through you. I know for sure. What do you, for now? Like the whole multiplication of the food wasn't enough? Like, we've been eating toastios for days, man. I mean, you're like, that wasn't enough? No, why? Because she was waiting for the shoe to fall. And it did. And she was testing to see if this God was different, like Elijah was telling her he was different, that this wasn't the same. When her son died and was risen back to life without requiring any payment in return, was given back to her in a gift, she knew Elijah represented the true God who is above all gods and that there is not another God like this God. You see, beloved, our own life experiences contribute to our skepticism. Our own life experiences contribute to our skepticism. Many people out in the world have been jaded by the world, and they mistrust everyone and everything. When they're in a moment of desperation, they look at the church, they look at Christians and believers and wonder, are they really telling the truth? Is their God really who he says he is? Or are they just like everybody else? And the deciding factor in their lives that either pushes them toward faith in Christ or away from faith is watching what we do with God's promises and what God does in and through us. You see, our decisions to make a move in crises, to make a move in difficult situations for the good or the bad have a multiplication effect. When we make a decision, there are always good consequences or bad consequences depending on what we're deciding to do. And this woman, again, was living in Sidon. Sidon, or she was a Sidonian. Sidon was the name of a son of a man named Canaan. So Canaan, his people settled in a certain area. His son Sidon settled in this area, and the place was named after Sidon. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, 24, Canaan's father Ham did something egregious, sinned against his father. And when Noah came to, it says in the scripture, when Noah woke from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. And then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham, and said, may Canaan be cursed, and may he be the lowest servant to his relatives. So there was a curse pronounced on Canaan and all of his descendants that passed down for generations. And so this woman living in Sidon, the Sidonian woman, is a cursed woman because of something that happened in her ancestral line. 
If we look at Exodus 20, verses 5 through 6, God tells the nation of Israel, he says, You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Don't worship any other gods. Have no other gods before me. And then he says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their who? Upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. When you worship other gods, that unlocks a curse into your family line. Have you ever wondered why alcoholics have kids who are alcoholics? Or why abusers have kids who sometimes become abusers? That there seems to be a spiritual reality that follows the sins of the family line. And he's saying up to the third and fourth generation. What is God telling us? He's telling us the consequences of sin far exceeds what we can comprehend. It far exceeds what we can understand, that it, the consequences get passed down the family line. It has a greater effect than we re realize. I kind of think of it like dominoes. So we got some dominoes here. I got five dominoes. I'll see if I can set this up here. So this first domino represents us, you and me. And then these next few represent the third there's three. Oh, already messed up. Oh, well, you get the idea. We'll get it here. All right. Abracadabra. Ooh, ooh, ah. Uh. All right. So we have five dominoes. This one represents us, and these are the third and fourth generation. When we turn our backs on God, or we say, God, no, you can't have authority in my life in this area. I'm not going to worship you in this area. We give authority to the enemy to unleash brokenness, to unleash a curse. And what that does is that gets passed down for generations, one after the other after the other. It's a family curse. You can see this in many different ways. And I think this is one thing that really stifles our faith in a lot of ways. If you think about just your own personal life, and I, I deal with this on my own, when I think about doing something for God or stepping out in great faith, what rises up to haunt me? My mistakes. I, I look at the way I'm... I'm not perfect in a certain area or maybe an area I struggle. And, and I can even look at my kids now and see how they're kind of taking on characteristics of my personality that I don't particularly like in some ways. And I think, man, I'm, I'm messing things up. I'm, I'm, I'm not what I should be. And the enemy's allowed to speak all these negative vibes and things to you because we focus more on the negative anyway, naturally as human beings. And, and so when we think about our lives and our even ability to be qualified to be used by God, it comes against us and oftentimes keeps us from making a move when God has opened an opportunity because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we can to, to stand there. And I, I tell you, if it, it was me and the widow and her son was dead, I don't know that I could have done what Elijah did. Because I'm thinking, who am I to ask God anything? Who am I? I know what I've done. I know what I'm like. I know what stuff's in my closet. 
we knock the dominoes over all throughout our lives. And our enemy, we have a, we're in a spiritual battle all the time. And our enemy has a keen ability to trigger us to constantly think about the ways we don't measure up. It's really annoying. The moment I start feeling like, man, I think, man, we got to a good place. I'm doing pretty good. Something happens to remind me of all the junk I used to do. And it knocks down my confidence. It's because really I'm trying to find confidence in myself when I should just be confident in God. But what I want you to see is even though sin has a great effect and often is far more devastating and goes further than we can possibly comprehend, I want you to see what God said in the next verse, in verse 6. He says, I lavish unfailing love. Somebody say unfailing love. For a what? For a thousand generations. For those who love me and obey my commandments. So though sin has an effect, it goes down the third and fourth generation. What's greater than the effect of sin is the effect of God's love that he lavishes on those who walk in faith and obey his commandments. There's a greater effect than what sin has on us. So like saying a thousand generations is, is a figure of speech. It's like saying it goes on for an eternity. Uh, like you think sin has an effect. You don't understand or comprehend the width, the breadth, the depth of your walking in faith that God's allowed to unleash into the world and into the people around you. So to kind of gather some perspective, you saw the five dominoes here. I want to show you a quick video of what a thousand dominoes looks like. What I love about that is that we naturally gravitate to look at what's negative. But what God wants us to focus on is not what's negative. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. He took all our curses upon himself. So we didn't have to be weighed down by that any longer. That we could, as Paul said, put the past behind us and press on to make a move forward to the calling God has put on us as children of God. And as we look at the impact that our love and our faithfulness has, as we can see with the thousand dominoes, it's far greater than the three to four generations. It goes on to a thousand generations and beyond. Elijah was being tested in this moment. And what's interesting, like we saw last week, that the brook that he was drinking from was called the Kareth Brook. It meant cutting. That God was cutting away the comfort that what he was dependent on. The city of Zarephath, you know what Zarephath means? Refining. It's the city of refining. It's that place of refinement. So what's God showing us in this passage of Scripture? It's showing us that God took him out of the comfort zone into a place of challenge. 
of refining. Why do, you, why do we refine things? Why do you refine anything? Why do you refine gold or precious metal? You refine things to see what they're made of. To see what they're made of. And the more it's refined, the more you get to see what it's made of. And again, we look at the, the negative side often. Like if you think of gold being refined, the impurities begin to rise to the top. The reason why we don't being refined is we don't like exposing the impurities that we have. We don't like the impurities being exposed and risen to the top. But God doesn't expose our impurities to shame us. He exposes the impurities to scoop it out. So what's left is far more pure. And the more pure it is, the more it's worth. And so refining, though it's difficult, it's painful. It's a valuable process where we learn to grow in our faith, to honor God, to walk in his ways, and which enables us to do greater things for him, for our good works to go beyond even a thousand generations. So God was refining Elijah. And what's profound to me is that God didn't send Elijah to Zarephath as much to minister or be ministered to. He sent him to minister to the woman. He sent him there because he knew there was a woman who was in need and needed a revelation of the truth. And she was impacted by her encounters with Elijah. And in this moment, again, as he's launching his crazy faith, as God is doing these miracles, I think of our lives, and I think when God uses someone to bless us or opens a door for our needs to get met, sometimes God has to take our eyes off of what we want so that we can see what we really need. That's why we're refined. Because we're trying to stay in that place of comfort. And so God has to take our eyes off of what we want in life to see what we really need. And what Elijah didn't know in this city of refining, like the thousand dominoes, is that this season in his life, the impact that he made at this house of the widow had a far greater significance than even he understood. In the Gospels, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, he goes to his hometown, Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue. And he opens up the scroll. It's his turn to read. He opens up the scroll to Isaiah and begins to read in Isaiah the, the prophecy of the coming Messiah, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, open the blind eyes, etc. And as he's proclaiming this, the people are just in awe about everything that he's saying. He's like, man, this is, this is awesome. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, like, who is this guy? Like, what's happening here? And they begin to rejoice. But then Jesus turns to this community and says something that's a little jarring to them in Luke 4, 23 through 26. He says, then he said, this is Jesus, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in those in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. So what just happened? Jesus, as he's announcing himself as the Messiah to his people, to his friends and to his family, he also calls them out for being unbelievers. 
for, for not believing in him, for not receiving him. And then he uses Elijah's story to mirror what his ministry is going to be like. He's like, you know that time where the, the people of God needed God? Well, God didn't send the prophet to them. He sent the prophet to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles are going to be the ones to receive the king. And so, yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not going to be a benefit to the Jews because you're going to reject me. But I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles because they're going to receive me. Like, do you, do you think that Elijah knew in this moment that his life was going to be used as an illustration by the Messiah, the Son of God, of what his ministry was going to be like? Like, Jesus uses Elijah's life to describe his ministry. That his life, his ministry, was a testimony of Jesus' ministry. See, Elijah's time of refining, this moment in his life, was planned by God to be used as an illustration of how Jesus was going to save the world, a ministry that didn't happen for centuries later. And I just have to think, do we understand that our lives, our story, even when the things that happen become history, are really his story. Like God has foreordained, Ephesians 5 or 2, uh, chapter 2 says that God has planned for things for us to do before the foundation of the world. That God has already planned how he wants to use our lives to tell his story in the world about he's going to redeem the world. It's, it's an amazing thing. Our lives are not simply our stories, they're his story. So if we're afraid of what might not go right or what's out of control or what we don't understand or whether or not we're going to mess it up too much to the point that we fear falling greater than our faith in God to do the impossible, we will never have what it takes to make the next move that God is ready for us to make. And God wants you to take a move. He wants you to make a move. He is ready for you to step out and be who he's created you to be. And when we enter those seasons of refining, if we're not trusting in who God is, putting our confidence in him rather than in ourselves and our own qualifications, we won't be refined in the season of refining. We'll simply get burned. We'll live a life of defeat, stuck near dry brooks in dry lands. But that's not what we've been called to, beloved. See, why was Elijah able to make a difficult or powerful moves in difficult circumstances? I believe it's because he learned a powerful lesson. Proverbs 24, 16, it says, The righteous, they fall seven times, but they get up on the eighth. See, it doesn't say that righteous people are perfect and never fall. It doesn't say you'll never make a mistake. You'll never have to get your foot out of your mouth or that you'll never have a track record you're not proud of. What's the difference between righteous and unrighteous? Is that the righteous get back up in the grace of God and go after it again. When we allow difficult circumstances to hold us back, our lack of confidence to hold us back, we'll never get to see what God has intended for us to see with what he's planned for us to do. But beloved, I want to leave you with a promise of God, a truth. That even now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know him as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit of God is resting on you. Beloved, no matter how many times you fall, 
you can get back up and you can keep going. And God is going to continue to work in you because he is the exceedingly and abundantly kind of God. He's an exceedingly and abundantly kind of God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able. Somebody say who is able. God is able. Through his mighty power at work within us. Somebody say within me. It's his power within you. He's able through the power he has within you to accomplish infinitely. Say infinitely. More than we might ask or think. Which means what God put in you through believing in Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit, it's so great. It's beyond anything you might think to ask. Matter of fact, it's so amazing you can't even think that big. That there is something in you that God wants to let out of you. But the way he lets it out of you is by having you make a move. By getting connected to his heart finding out what God wants for your life and then not letting fear and a lack of confidence hold you back or your circumstances hold you back. But you say, God, I may not understand. I don't get it, but I trust you and I know what's in me is greater than anything I face in the world. And though I may not know the right words to pray, I'm going to trust that your spirit is praying for me. I may not have the strength in my body, but your strength is greater. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I might be in a place of refining where it feels like my whole life has fallen apart. Everything you said you promised me doesn't seem to be panning out because maybe I just don't see it from your vantage point. I don't know what you're doing, but God, I trust you and I know I'm going to make it. You're going to teach me some things. I'm going to rise up and what's next is going to be even greater than what I'm leaving behind. Beloved, God has a plan and purpose for you. And it's not to be defeated. And it's not to stay the same. And it's not just to go through same old, same old Christianity. And not just to be religious and fill the pew at your appointed time. But God has people for you to reach. God has a thousand generations. A thousand generations for you to change. And they're not going to change if you don't change. They're not going to change if you stop following. They're not going to change if you don't make a move. It's time to make a move. God is speaking to each one of us. God has a plan. God has a call. And maybe for you this season, it's just to cultivate your relationship with God, to get back to that spirit of prayer. You know, like we, we talk about this a lot. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? That was an old song. Well, we get it in our heads that it's a formula. If I read a chapter and I pray over dinner, then I'm going to grow. Oh, God has so much more for you than that. God has so much more for you than a snack. He has a meal. I prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I've anointed your head with oil. You're anointed for this moment. Your cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And one day you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because the Lord is your shepherd, and you have everything you need. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. And when you're in that time of crisis, when you're in that city of refining, beloved, he restores your soul. 
He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, yay. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to fear evil because he's with you. His rod and his staff comforts you. The Lord is for you. And if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for such wonderful grace. God, I thank you for the sacrifice of Christ, that by his stripes we are healed, that by his precious blood and his broken body, every record of wrong against us has been wiped away. We don't have to fear judgment day, but we get to look forward to the day we see you face to face. God, may we be like the good servant who took the five talents and invested them in the kingdom and produced for you a hundredfold. God, may we be like seeds planted in good soil that your truth plants deep in our hearts and produces for you a good crop. God, may today we stop holding fast to confidence in ourselves and allowing our lack of confidence, our, our past, all of our missed opportunities, all of the frailties and weaknesses that we have, God, come against the purpose and plan that you have for our lives. God, it doesn't matter how great we string a sentence together. The gospel on the lips on any speaker is powerful. It is the power of God at work, saving the hearts of those who believe. God, it doesn't matter how many prayers we prayed in our life. The prayer of the sick through the body of Christ heals. God, I, I just, just declare this. God, that faith would rise in your church. That no more will we let circumstances determine our well-being, but we let the gospel and the truth of the word of God determine our well-being. It's like Paul said, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, whether we have a lot or we have a little, whether things are going well or things are going terrible. We can accomplish all things. So God, give us faith to speak to the empty jars and the empty oil bottles. God, give us faith to speak to dead sons in a time of trial. God, give us faith to take steps of faith when our brooks dry up. God, don't let us wallow in the depression and, and discouragement of the enemy, but God, help us fix our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. God, I pray that your church would rise be bold, be filled with your spirit. And God, as you're moving, that we would make a move. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing among us and for what you're about to release upon us as we go into a time of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We're gonna open the time for prayer. If God's been speaking to your heart, if there's a move you know you need to make and you would like encouragement, our prayer team will be down front to pray with you that you would have faith to take that step. If you're struggling in any kind of area and you want to come forward, we're there. If you need healing, our prayer team's here to pray for you. If you need encouragement, we have those that have been through our prophetic class that will listen to God's voice and speak his word over you. Whatever is going on in your life, if you need prayer, you come. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, that you've had a religious life but not a relationship with God, then come, don't hesitate, come. And we'll lead you through the prayer that's gonna change your life forever as you give your life to the King of Kings. In Jesus' name.
ourselves to the church. We don't want to worship anymore, serve anymore, because we're spiritually dry. And we're dry because we've lost sight of the reality that communing with God and the fellowship of the church, the fellowship of the believer, is a privilege to be a part of. This is a privilege. And I believe in 2022, beloved, that if that's you, if you need God to reignite your heart, your joy, your hope in this season. It's not going to be found in drinking from dry brooks. You're not going to find it holding on to things in the past or things that were before. You're going to find it with new water, with new wine. I believe God wants to give you a new wineskin, a new container, a fresh vision, fresh hope, renewed strength. But we have to stop clinging to what's holding us back. And we have to make a move toward Jesus. And maybe for you today, that's beginning a relationship with God, a real relationship with God for the first time where you say, God, I'm done controlling my life. Today, I want to give you my life fully and completely. You're in control. I submit to you. I don't live for my glory and my praise. I live now for your glory and your praise. We call that being saved where you receive the forgiveness of your mistakes and your past and your sins and you receive his amazing grace. Like Jesus said, joy like living water will begin to spring up in your soul. It's a beautiful thing. Maybe you have a relationship with God and you know Christ, but you're still drinking from dry brooks and today I just believe God wants you to lay that down. And say, God, I'm tired of drinking dirt. It's not satisfying my soul. Today I need a drink of cool water, refreshment, that I know is found when I'm in alignment and agreement with you. Today you need to choose today to start acting on what God's been speaking to you. Trust he's already made the way and that you will be victorious. And for some of you, this is going to be huge. Some of you, that means coming forward for prayer when you haven't done that in a very long time. There's some people coming forward for prayer is easy. They do it every week. It's part of their life. They, they're like, if God's doing something and if he's down here, I'm gonna be right down there with him. Some of you, it would take a life-altering decision, a life-altering circumstance for you to get so real enough of your dependence on God to leave your seat and come forward to be prayed over by someone in the church. Maybe that's the first thing you lay down. Some of you have hopes and dreams and things of the past you've been clinging to that didn't pan out. And because that didn't work, there's this belief you believe that, well, if that didn't work, then how will any of this other stuff work? How can I believe God for something different if what I believed for in the past didn't come to pass? And I would say, beloved, that wasn't his plan for your life. So it's time to stop holding on to your plans and start receiving his plans. And you need to lay that down. Maybe even forgive God for not meeting your expectations. And then ask his forgiveness for putting those expectations that weren't true on him. And restore your relationship. Relationships are a two-way street. Whatever God is speaking to you right now, don't hesitate. Don't stay where you are. Don't keep drinking from dry brooks. 
but make your move. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this message, how I need it. So many times, so many dreams, so many occasions of moving with you and walking in the spirit and following you, God, I have hesitated and I have held back on because of fear, of worry, of doubt, of just not wanting to because of selfish desires or reasons, all the while missing the reality that what I truly needed, what I truly wanted for my life was with you where you were leading me. God, this world has done a great job convincing the body of Christ that following you is not as cool, as fulfilling, as fun, as other things we can find in the world. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us fresh eyes today to see the world as the dry and dusty land where there is no water the way that it is and open our eyes to the kingdom of God. God, I pray for everyone here today, those that are weary in their soul, those who are dry, that need refreshment, that need revival. If there's anyone here, God, whether they're watching online or here presently with us, God, that needs to accept Jesus as their Savior, I pray, God, that today would be the day. And in just a second, when I pray, God, they would pray with me, that they would, as if you were standing right there before them, they would pray these words to you from their heart. God, I pray that you would begin to break off the hard heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You begin to change them, even before we say amen, into the new creation, God, that you promised that we become. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would wreck wreck their expectations, wreck their life, wreck everything the enemy's been trying to do, God, and show them that true fulfillment, true joy comes through knowing Jesus. So right now, if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, you want to make him Lord of your life, I just encourage you to pray with me, either here or online. You say, Father, thank you for loving me. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned against you. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Today, I'm trusting in Jesus. I know he died for me. And I know he rose again so that I could be your child. I put my faith in him as my Lord and Savior now and forever. And Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. You'd give me the strength to lay everything down that hinders my relationship with you. And that I could rise up into who you called me to be. That you'd receive glory with my life now and forever. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing. And we pray for the next few moments, Holy Spirit, you draw every person, everyone that needs to make a move, that there wouldn't be a filled seat if that's what it takes. 
And God, that you would begin even now making rivers in the dry wasteland and paths in the wilderness that breakthrough power be released. Healing power would come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as Tony sings. If God's speaking to you, you come forward. Come on now. Don't hesitate. Make your move. And we're going to pray together for the next few moments. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.